Welcome back to I Loved This Conversation. I'm Alex Salzberg, your host. I am, in addition to the host of this podcast, an animator, a writer, a teacher. I'm someone who lives a creative life, and I love talking to other creative people about what's going on in their creative lives. Um, What's going on in your creative life, by the way? I am always so curious to know, are you feeling good? Are you feeling behind, overwhelmed, excited about something? For me, the last few months of the year... That's always the time where I rethink or think about my creative life the most. I think it's like, there's this weird ticking clock when you have Thanksgiving and the December holidays and um, New Year's coming up. I don't know. It just, it gets me like wondering, why do I feel behind all the time? Do you all feel that a lot? Behind? I feel like I spend just so much of my creative life feeling behind. And sometimes a day-to-day level, like I just feel behind on the day. I already feel behind today. I'm recording this intro at my desk on a Friday morning where I don't even have that much to do today. But man, do I feel a little behind. And then on a medium level, I sort of feel behind in all the various projects I'm working on. I feel behind with this podcast. My buffer of recorded episodes is waning. I feel behind on my big client project that I'm working on right now. And then on a macro level, I'll admit I often feel behind in my career, which is why I was so excited to have a conversation with Angela Ensminger, today's guest. Angela is a storyboard artist and writer for TV animation in LA. I've known Angela for a few years. I met her through a friend, and I was actually a guest on her podcast about five years ago, which I imagine is quite a time capsule of where I was at that point. I always love talking to Angela. I always love hearing Angela on podcasts, and I always love asking Angela to speak to animation students in classes that I teach. And Angela is so open about her journey starting a career in animation after another career. So quote unquote, and again, heavy quotes, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, late to her current artistic career. In this conversation, we talk all about that. We talk about starting late and feeling behind. We talk about working your way up from the bottom and all of the patience and humility that is sometimes easier said than done when you're doing that, right? We talk about staying positive. And we also talk about Angela's journey with faith, which uh, was really interesting to learn about. We're coming for you, Pete Holmes. You made it weird. We can talk about spirituality here, too. And, of course, I had to ask Angela a little bit about her time as a PA on American Idol because we got to know. We got to know what's going on back there. We recorded this remotely about a month ago. Angela in L.A. I was at my desk in Boston, which means you might hear a loud truck or motorcycle go by once in a while. And I think there was a rainstorm, too. Anyway, so let's hear this amazing conversation. Let's meet our guest and hear her connection to me. My name is Angela Ensminger. And I met Alex through our mutual Boston friend, Sarah Johnson, who is now here in Los Angeles. I want to add that the first time we met, I was on Angela's podcast. I'm really excited to, I guess, turn the tables, although that phrase sounds evil. Um, (laughs) And... That's not my intention. Um, And so all the listeners know Alex is not an evil man. You heard it here. (laughs) All right, Angela, I have a big question, and I'll have to answer it too later on. What is something you are currently going through in your creative life and or where your creative life overlaps with your entire life? So right now, I am attempting to, the best of my ability, focus on one project at a time while I'm working on that Mm. project and to enjoy the process of it. 
and to take stock of where I'm at and just be be very glad about that because it took me a while to get into the field of animation. I had a previous career in publishing and IT, went back to school later in life, and then I started at the very bottom and then worked my way up to becoming a storyboard artist and a writer. And I was just hustling for a solid seven years. I'm curious if you don't mind, it can be very quick. Like pretend we're on an elevator ride and you have to tell me your path from maybe your pre-animation career to now. What's sort of the elevator pitch version of that? Worked in publishing for seven years in IT, realized, oh, I really don't like this. Volunteered at the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art where I met a lot of animators. Bunch of my friends moved to LA. I realized, oh, I need to move to LA. Went to Denver first because I had family there and I could live with them, save money. Worked in IT, had a friend whose friend lived in San Francisco, was going to art school, worked at ILM, visited him, realized I'm going to that school. <laughs> Went to the school, did the best that I could, worked as a production assistant while I was in school, got an internship at Pixar, worked in reality TV after graduation, moved to LA, did more reality TV jobs, worked in retail, worked at the Hallmark Channel for two days, worked at Mercury <laughs> Insurance as a temp, made a podcast, made a lot of friends, volunteered at conventions. One of my podcasts lets convention friends, had a best friend at Nick. That's how I got my interview. Went in. I think I terrified them with all my reality TV stories. And they went, she is great. <laughs> and then they hired me three days later. So that's the uh, super condensed 15-year version. I love it. how I got in. That was beautiful. That, that only took about seven or eight floors on the elevator. That was great. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I'm, I'm finally doing what I want to do. But I also don't feel like I've arrived but then I'll talk to friends and mentees or family members and they'll go, look what you're doing. And I have to stop and go, oh, yeah, I'm actually making a career of this. But it's interesting being on the other side of where I was for years and finally going, it's OK once in a while if you take a nap. <laughs> it's OK if you're not constantly practicing, constantly taking a class. You can rest once in a while. When you hang out with your friends, you guys can talk about something other than work. So that's... Mm. The transition I'm in now of like, oh, I can actually enjoy life and that's okay. And I don't have to feel guilty if I'm not constantly grinding away because there is such a thing as grinding yourself into a pulp. Right. I relate to that at many points in my career. It sounds like, would it be fair to describe, you're almost, this is, I think, a very cliche phrase, but like what got you here won't get you there? Yes and no, because you still need, like, so I'll give an example. So career-wise, the next step for me is creating a television show. That's mm. something that I've wanted to do since before I went back to school. It's one of the reasons why I went back to school, because I wanted to learn about the entire process of animation. But I've come to realize that there's a lot more that goes into creating a television show than I initially thought. Because of the work that I've done in becoming a writer, I've had an opportunity to work very closely with executive producers who were creating and running those shows. And talking to them has just made me see, oh, there is so much more to your job than I thought. So just <laughs> seeing how much more work goes into yeah. it, I realized, oh, I still have to hustle. But you know, there's more things in life than work. There's also mm. taking care of your health. There's spending time with your friends and family. 
hey, maybe start <laughs> dating. Maybe get married. Maybe have a baby. Maybe buy a house. Like there's the totality of life is so much more than your career for a corporation. So that's why I'm right now realizing, hey, work is good. It is good to work. It's great to do a really good job. But what are you working towards? And I think having a goal beyond work is very healthy. How far along do you feel you are down that path of having more personal goals or even just more balance? I feel like I'm at least midway through. And I say that because I don't know how long it's going to take because certain things require more than me. So for example, you know, right now paying off my student loans, that's great. (laughs) How much that gets paid off depends on, you know, the current administration plus my own effort. So that's a big goal. Uh, Eventually getting a house that depends on me, but also the California housing market, which is its own can of worms, you know, (laughs) eventually getting married and having kids kind of need another person for that. So, you know, so there's certain things where, you know, I would love to be able to say in five years, I'll have this, but there's really no way to know. So for me, it's more of, hey, if I take these baby steps every day or every week, the likelihood of this happening within the next three to five years increases exponentially, as opposed to if I just sit back and go, I wish things would change. Right, right. How often do you feel impatient while taking those baby steps? And if you feel impatient, how do you continue to take those baby steps? Because a lot of that stuff, those baby steps sometimes can feel like nothing until you get to that point where something that's out of your control becomes within your control. By nature, I am not patient Mm. at all. I would love everything (laughs) to just just appear before my eyes. And (laughs) it's taken my entire life to finally get to the point where I go, hey, everything that you want in life that is really worth having is a process and it will happen incredibly slower than you would like. (laughs) So for me, it's been more of a, you know, every time I, I feel that well of anxiety, like, why hasn't this happened yet? I just go, because it hasn't. Mm. So just breathe and just know that, hey, you're taking the right steps. And if you take the right steps, the likelihood of it happening increases. There's no guarantee. And also the other thing, too, is there's no guarantee that any of this will actually happen. But if you're at least taking the steps, the likelihood of it increases. And at least you can say, you know what? I tried. I did the best that I could with the resources and the information and the time that I had. It's interesting to hear you describe yourself as an impatient person, because from an external point of view, knowing about your path and how hard you work and um, your commitment to things that take a lot of patience, you're very much someone I view as like a lifelong learner. You're someone who has had a lot of career changes. Those things from an external point of view, I'm like, wow, Angela must be so patient. It kind of brings me around to a question. Do you feel there are times when your impatience is like a strength or has helped you? I appreciate you saying that, though, Alex, because it's a very nice thing for you to say. (laughs) Uh, I would say that, yes, the impatience, weirdly enough, has helped me because what it created in me was a uh, never say die Mm. attitude where it just got to the point where I just got so angry and frustrated that I went, I am going to get this and no one will stop me. And so it just became like, I was like just a little little ball of energy, a little force, kind of like um, my favorite comic character is a Jean Grey who becomes the Phoenix 
and X-Men. And I just love the idea of, you know, just the mythological phoenix of, you know, you have this creature that's born and then dies. And then from the ashes, they're reborn in this brilliant bird of fire. And I look at myself and go, that is who I am as a person, (laughs) you know, Mm. because I think of all the good and bad jobs, good and bad relationships, good and bad moving experiences throughout my life. And it's like, you know, I die, but then I'm reborn as like this mythical, you know, fire bird. (laughs) And so... Yeah, to answer your question, it uh, it lights a fire under you when things aren't going as fast as you want them to do. And it really forces you to think about how badly do I want this? And what am I willing to do to make this happen? And what am I willing to sacrifice? And this is kind of maybe in the same vein as the last question. Another, I know it's vulnerable to hear like external observations about yourself, but every time I either talk to you or hear you talk on a podcast, I always feel very inspired and motivated because you externally come off as a very, very positive person, someone with like a really positive attitude. So I'm curious, like, do you think of yourself as positive and how do you stay positive when you're in the part of the Phoenix cycle where you're the ashes or maybe maybe you don't? So it's interesting because I've lately been thinking about that myself because I'm not always a positive person to myself, but honestly, I'll just be really real. The two things that have helped me the most have been faith in Jesus and therapy. Mm. You know, I highly recommend having a faith, whether it's in Christ or not, having a faith and seeking, you know, counseling. There have been times in my life that have been incredibly difficult. And that's what got me through it was having the faith and having someone to talk to and figuring out healthy ways to work through it and cope. And so I think it's really important as artists to like just recognize, hey, if you've got stuff on the inside that you don't know how to deal with it, you need to talk to somebody who is experienced with that and who will give Mm -hmm. you healthy things. That's what helps me stay positive because just on my own, this wouldn't work. But also weirdly enough, or maybe it's not so weird, hard times and difficult experiences give you an outlook on life that enables you to appreciate what you have. And it also gives you an inner resilience where you can go, well, you know what? You know, it didn't didn't destroy me. I'm I'm still on this path. And so being able to go through hard things and then look back and then look at yourself and go, well, hey, if I got through that, I can get through this. It gives you a lot of grit. It gives you a lot of resilience. And from that comes joy. So that's where I think the positivity comes from. Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree. I found the way I sometimes phrase it to myself. And I think therapy has helped me with this. I kind of look back when I'm going through something, I look back at other times I've gone through hard times. And my wording is always like, well, there's a lot of evidence that I can make it through. I'm curious to hear more about your faith, um, because that's something that I don't know as much about. Not that I don't have my own set of, of spiritual beliefs, but I haven't talked to a lot of people actually who have brought up faith in connection with their like creative journey or their creative career. Is that something that's been lifelong or has 
Is that something that um, has had more ups and downs? Both, actually. Yes. Yeah, so when I was little, church was the building I go to with my family where I play with Lincoln Logs <laughs> and the other kids. And I take really comfortable naps yeah. in the pew. And that's about it. And it wasn't until middle school where I really started to understand, like, who is God? Who is mm -hmm. Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? And actually started reading the Bible and whatnot. And I became a Christian when I was 11. But when you're a kid, faith is honestly pretty easy and pretty small when you're little. It's like, this makes sense. Okay. I had what I would consider like fairly easy childhood, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that hard to make a leap of God loves me. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. And it wasn't until I became high schooler and then a young adult and then an older adult where, you know, life just really starts piling on you. And I really had to look around and go, why do I believe any of this? Mm. You know, why do I trust any of this? Why am I reading the Bible? Why am I going to church? Look around. The world is on fire. Why do I want to ascribe to any of this? And then especially as a creative person, the sad reality is that the church and Christians have not been the kindest to creatives, to artists, to people that I say this in air quote are on the, the fringe people of other religions, LGBTQ people, right. people of color, you know, the church hasn't always been that great to, to black people, right. all to women. And so that's something, you know, there's a tension there that I also had to wrestle with. It's like, why am I believing in this faith that, you know, I look around and it's like, it's kind of demonizing everybody that's not like straight and white and a guy. That's, that's pretty bad. And for me, what it was, was really going into what the Bible actually said about people and how Jesus actually treated people and seeing that, hey, you know who he treated people the best? The, the sinners, the prostitutes. Right. You know whose case he got on the most and who he got the most mad at? The religious leaders. <laughs> right. You know, the people <laughs> yelling at everybody else, the people making all the laws and rules. He was like, you know, paraphrase Angela version here. Y'all are fools. Stop it. <laughs> and so that's what gave me hope is realizing, oh, he was kind to everybody. And I'm like, well, I want to be kind to everybody. And I want to be kind to artists. And especially in L.A., you know, most people I'm one of the few people actually from California. Most people here are transplants. And when you talk with them and you hear their stories, a lot of artists like they're coming from either super religious backgrounds or not religious backgrounds or they're coming from places where. They were not respected. They were not treated well. You know, mm. they're weirdo, you know, again, air quotes, they're the weirdos. <laughs> and so for me, it's been a thing of the best way for me to show my faith is not being like Mandy Moore in the, in the movie Saved, where <laughs> she uh, throws a Bible at the back of Jenna Malone's head, but just being like, hey, this is who I am as a person. I love who you are as you are. Mm. I think what you're doing is really cool. This is what I'm about. If that at all interests you, we can talk about it. If it doesn't, no harm, no foul, man. Just right. know, though, that I, I care about you and, and what's going on in your life. And I think, personally, that's how I try to live out my faith, not by, like, beating people over the head with it, but just being like, we're not all the terrible people with signs right. <laughs> saying right. God hates you. It's like, we're not like that. <laughs> If I'm doing like just an informal poll in my brain of like a lot of artists and creatives I know, especially in animation, I think there's definitely a 
big Venn diagram with, if not atheism, at least like sort of a resistance to faith or resistance to that kind of thing for probably a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Oh, like yeah. The, and it's the val- I would like to interject real quick. Very <laughs> valid reasons. Yeah. Too. So I. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious, what are some of the things that maybe, I'm trying to think how to word this, uh, that you would feel people could adopt or that artists could believe in outside of the, the belief system itself, like that you're getting? I, I worded that terribly, but like, for instance, like, <laughs> what do you think maybe people who don't have faith are missing that maybe they need to look elsewhere for, not from a belief system, but that people maybe could look for? If you oh, have an answer to that, that I, is a very long a... rambling question. I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. I can think of a really big one. You are not who the world and society tell you, tells you that you are. Mm. There, there are so many mixed messages of who you are, who you have to be, how you should look, how you should dress, how you should eat, who you should be with, what color you should be, how your hair should be, how tall you should be. Should you be funny? Should you not be funny? Should you be more masculine? You know, there's so much conflict with all of that and so much of an identity crisis with all that. And so the biggest thing for me is just knowing that there's someone out there who says, hey, I love you as is. Mm. And you don't have to be anything else beyond what you are at this present moment and if you never became whatever society tells you you have to be that's fine and i think that's the biggest thing and really that's i honestly think deep down that's really what everybody's looking for is just yeah who am i and am i loved am yeah. i good enough you know because you hear this a lot from artists too it's like is my work good enough do I have enough followers do I have enough influence at work and it just kind of boils down to Am I good enough to be accepted by others? And the biggest thing for me that faith has taught me is that you are enough in and of yourself. And it's okay if the rest of the world doesn't see that and doesn't acknowledge that. You don't owe the world anything. Man, I love that. And there's like a part of me, and I think it's the part of me that maybe uh, over is the part of me that is more impatient, that has is more into goal setting and ambition and milestones. And that part of me is sometimes afraid to accept that idea of being enough because I'm afraid that will make me be like, well, if I'm enough, I'll just, I don't need to do all that other stuff. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious if that, if that plays out in your, uh, in your mind or in your heart at all, or if those things are more compartmentalized from each other. So what it does for me is it shifts the, I need to do these things in order to be enough to, no, I'm doing these things because I want to do these things. Mm. I want to achieve this goal because I enjoy creating or I wish to make something for others and more of an out and not because I have to make this so they'll like me. It's no, I want to make this because I want them to be able to enjoy this thing that I also enjoy. Right. I want to give them the same positive feeling about it that I have. Or, you know, as a a black woman, it's like, hey, I want to show that, hey, if you're black, look, you can create beautiful things, you know? Mm. Or it's like, 
look, you can create things because I created things too, you know, being able to show that to people. So basically it just shifts the focus of why you're doing it. And to me, that puts it in a, a much healthier space. It's more of a, because I am comfortable in my own skin, you know, there's an overflow of that into my art. I think that's maybe a good segue. I want to kind of swing back around a little into talking about your career path. You've had a relatively, and, and this is probably the wrong word because I think everyone has had a non-traditional path, but <laughs> relative to maybe other people in TV animation, your path leans even more non-traditional into animation. And then I also know from talking to you in the past that you started, and I'm putting this in like the heaviest quotes, late into animation. <laughs> um, so I guess the first thing I'll ask um, is like, what would you want people most to know about your career path, especially people who maybe feel like they're too late to do something. Oh, I love this. You are not too late. I thought I was too late. <laughs> and I thought I was too late when I had an internship at Pixar and I was at Pixar <laughs> thinking, I'm too late. And I wish I could go back and give myself a hug, but also shake me a little and be like, you're at Pixar. It's fine. It's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> so that's the biggest thing is it is not too late to change. Mm. However, know that change may take longer than you think it will take because it took several years for me to fully transition over. Mm. And honestly, I think that's typical, not just for animation, but just if you make any kind of career change in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, it's just going to take a while because it'll take you a while to figure out what classes to take, figure out where you need to live, you know, gain the skills you need, meet the people you need to meet. So it just takes time. So however long you think it might take, know that it may take longer than that. And so then when it does, you won't freak out. I'm curious. So, you know, you've been a temp and a PA during this journey towards your goal of working in animation. I'm imagining as a PA, just based on um, times I've worked with PAs and stuff, that you were probably doing things like getting coffee and running errands and all kinds of miscellaneous stuff. And there's definitely nothing wrong with that. But speaking for myself, if I was like feeling really impatient to be a professional storyboard artist uh, and really impatient to be an animator, I would have days where I would struggle with humility. And this was true in my career when I was doing the equivalent of of being a PA on my path. I'd have days where I'd be like, aren't I past this? Don't I deserve more than this? So did you ever struggle to practice humility during those times? I did. Fortunately for me, the struggle when, was when I was working in reality TV. Mm. Reality TV is hard. You've got a walkie-talkie, you've mm. got a mic, you're getting lunches for dozens of people, you're doing all the stuff, you don't get paid a whole lot. It was really tough. And sometimes I had a bad attitude, but what that did was by the time I became a PA at Nick, I realized, hey, remember those other jobs when sometimes your attitude wasn't as great and sometimes you complained, we're not doing that here, mm. <laughs> you know? So I it basically, I grew out of that. And it also <laughs> had taken so long for me to get to Nickelodeon. I was like, I am glad to be here. What do you need? Do you need more copies? Right. Do you need more notebook paper? Like, it was just like, you know, I'm just going to be super PA at that point. <laughs> and because I noticed the PAs that did that, who were genuine about it, they're the ones that got promoted. And a lot of the people that I work with now, I'm back at Nickelodeon, a lot of us are former PAs and interns. 
Right. And the people that move up are the people that they're not the whiners. They're not the complainers. They just try to do the best job they possibly can. And they let people know, hey, my ultimate goal is this, but I'm going to do a really good job at my job. Because you're someone I know is also very involved in in conversations about making workplaces better and more equitable and more diverse and all that stuff. Do you find you're able to marry having a good attitude with also, I guess for lack of a better term, like the right kind of complaining, like the right kind oh, of, yeah. of criticism? Here's the wrong kind. The wrong kind is when you're first starting out in a job, especially if you're, you know, if you're like, a, let's say you're, you know, a PA and they say, hey, we need you. To, does this actually happen? We need you to put notepads on the table and pens on the table and get waters and whatnot. And what I used to do is I would just take whatever notepads were in the cabinet. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there were like drawings in them or whatnot. I didn't care. I'm like, a notepad's a notepad. We're recycling. And then some of the other PAs came up to me. They're like, hey, man, you really should get like clean ones every time. Don't just pick any old thing. (laughs) And at first I thought, that's they're spoiled, blah, blah, blah. Then I realized, no, their director's making a movie. It's okay if they have brand new notepads (laughs) or if they like a conference room set up a certain way, even if it's not the way that you would set up a conference room. That's fine. Yeah, that is fine. Things that you should complain about sexual harassment or any kind of harassment. Yes, please tell everyone you need to tell Mm -hmm. until that gets resolved, because that's terrible. Nobody should be harassed. For any reason, or if it's not sexual, just people just being cruel or being mean. Those are the obvious things, but also things that might not be as obvious, like naming conventions or systems that the show is doing that are just making it harder for people to do their job Mm. and taking a lot of time. It's okay to bring that up with somebody. If it's causing people to not be able to do their jobs efficiently or effectively or causing unnecessary OT or emotional duress, complain about that because that's legit. I'll share my feeling on this phrase after, but a lot of people talk about this idea of having like a big break or getting your big break. Do you believe in that idea or does that ring true in your career? There is a big break, but the caveat to that is there's more than one Mm -hmm. and they're preceded by a bunch of smaller breaks and a bunch of smaller decisions that may not always be evident at the time. It's kind of like being a farmer and sowing seeds. Or another analogy I like to use is uh, sea turtles because they're adorable and (laughs) giant and awesome. So sea turtles will lay somewhere between 300 and 500 eggs. And out of that, about five of them will reach maturity. (laughs) Little sea turtles are born and immediately they're picked off by crabs. They're picked off by seagulls. They Mm. walk in the wrong direction. They get into the ocean. They're picked off by every living creature. And so, so few are actually going to make it. And really, that's how the entertainment industry is. You don't know who you talk to will be able to help you. You don't know which project that you're doing in your spare time is going to enable you to get a job. You don't know which interview is going to land you that job. So just do everything. And the thing is, once you get that, you know, quote unquote, big break, 
you still have to do that. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people think, oh, I got the job. I'm good. No. I really agree with you about the the seeds slash sea turtle eggs. I used to really believe in this idea of like one big break and then everything would start rolling downhill kind of. And for me, I, I had an experience where I had a couple of years ago what I thought was that big break where everything would start rolling downhill. And not only was it not that, it was the opposite of that. It was a really horrible, demoralizing, uh, kind of cruel experience, which uh, I'm fine now. But that did in some ways disillusion me, but not necessarily in a bad way. The bigger breaks or the bigger successes. I've found in my career, it's always the sea turtle egg <laughs> that I least <laughs> that I least expected, right? The one that makes it into the water if I'm watching is like, I'm like, that one made it? That one has like a, a weird tail and is, <laughs> it's, it's bright orange. I thought for sure like a walrus would eat it. Like, yeah. <laughs> what? so I don't know if that's been true for your career too. I, I guess I'm describing it as like, like, I'm always very surprised what comes back around as useful in my career or as like a stepping stone. So I had a podcast called The Animated Journey, ran for 100 episodes, four years, very proud of it. The, the primary reason for me starting it was when I was in school, there weren't that many animation podcasts at all. In fact, I think the only one was The Animation Podcast by Clay Cadis. And yeah. it's great. And, and Clay, I, I got to meet Clay once. He's a wonderful person. And his whole thing was because he worked at Disney, he interviewed a lot of Disney veterans. Right. Makes sense. And the main story with a lot of them was, well, you know, in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> I went to CalArts. Then I graduated or didn't even graduate yet. Then I worked at Disney and I worked at Disney for 25 years. Yeah. The end. And that's not a bad story. Awesome right. story. We're, you we're know, happy a lot. for them. <laughs> yeah, happy for those folks. You know, if you, if you go to conventions, you get to meet those folks. They are, they are delightful people. But, you know, as a person in their 30s <laughs> in art school <laughs> right. with a bunch of friends who were also in their 20s and 30s who did not go to CalArts, who were not in the vicinity of Disney, we were like, well, that's real cool for you. Um, yeah, what about everybody else? <laughs> and so for me, the reason I started the podcast was, okay, how is everyone else getting a job? That's what I want to know. Like, how does someone like me get a job? And that was the whole point. And what I did not expect was that I would make a friend at a convention who also had a podcast who would then introduce me to one of his friends who would then hire me. Mm. I did not expect that. Yeah. You know, that that was not what I thought was going to happen. I thought this was going to be really cool educational resource. And in the back of my mind, I thought, maybe it'll help me get a job. And then I went, ah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> And that's exactly what happened. So, right. yeah. I think it's a good transition for me to share uh, one thing I'm going through in my creative life. Yes, please do. I started this podcast project back in, I want to say March or April, like actually taking the steps to finally make it of booking guests and recording them and editing episodes and all that. And now five episodes have come out and I've recorded another handful of guests that I'm editing and I've got other guests booked and Basically, the wheel the wheels are really in motion, and it's been very fun. I love interviewing. I also love editing the podcast. I actually really enjoy that process. Um, it's been very rewarding because I've gotten really, really good feedback from people. It's also just been rewarding personally because many of the people I've talked to, I've gotten to know better through those conversations and just like felt really 
happy with those conversations, including this one. I'm, I'm really enjoying getting to learn more about you. All that's the positive stuff, but it's also now, now it's like real and now it's setting in the grind of it mm-hmm. because I'm putting out an episode every two weeks. I think folks who have never edited audio, particularly like podcast episodes, they would be surprised just how many hours it takes to edit an episode that ends up being 40 minutes. And I also, I have help from my brother and I have great guests and booking has been easy. I'm at this point where I'm like, okay, now I've committed to this. I have five episodes out. I'd love for it to go to a hundred episodes like animated journey, but also that's kind of, that's, it's really daunting. So you don't have to solve my problem, but I am, (laughs) I I just wanted to share that with you, but I am curious, like on your journey of making the animated journey, you made a hundred episodes. How did you keep it going? Like when you were on episode, you know, seven and you were like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? If you felt that, what was next? (laughs) Oh, sure. No, that's, that's a great point. And I want to add audio editing. You, you are a rare breed and I (laughs) I salute you because I, 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 I don't enjoy audio editing it. My goodness. I'd spend somewhere between seven and 12 hours editing a one hour podcast episode. I started the podcast when I was unemployed and then also recorded 15 episodes before I ever released it on the air. So I had this massive buffer. Yeah. And then I got hired at Nickelodeon about a year into the podcast and it got harder uh, year two and into year three when I was really grinding to get into boards. And because of that, I wasn't able to spend as much time with the podcast. And I remember going to this place called Story Tavern, and I was with Jeff, my friend Jeff Schutze, who's now a uh, assistant director over at Shadow Machine, and two of our other friends. And it was just one of those dark night of the soul moments, because all <laughs> of us were having a really hard time with various jobs and personal situations. Yeah. And so I just let them know, hey, I really need help with the podcast. I'm thinking of quitting. And Jeff goes, oh, well, what do you need? And I immediately thought, editing. And then I thought, nobody wants to edit. And I thought, (laughs) doesn't matter. I'm just going to be 100% honest. And I said, I need help editing. And immediately Jeff said, I love editing. (laughs) Jeff and I are same page. I would have had the same reaction. I would have been like, I'm in. (laughs) So then after that, I said, hey, why don't you be the co-host? And that just breathed new life into the show because then it was, hey, I'm not doing this by myself. Yeah. I have a friend who cares about the show and who cares about the guests. And both of us were also trying to become storyboard artists. You know, we were on the same path, trying to do the same thing. And so it was like, this is my friend, this is my partner in crime, and we're both going for the same goal. And it was really cool because by the end of the run, we had done it. You know, we'd literally done it. We could tell everybody, hey, guess what? We did it. You You can too. You went on the animated journey. Yeah. I want to jump into our lightning round. First question. What is something you learned the hard way, but you would be really happy if other people didn't have to learn it the hard way, if they could just learn it the easy way by listening to you say it right now? Do not get student loans. They are Mm. evil. They are the bane of your existence. They will prevent you from getting certain jobs right off the bat because they don't pay you enough to make those payments. Mm. So just avoid them at all costs. When I first went to school, there weren't, I didn't know of any other way besides school, but now there are so many online programs that honestly are a lot better than a lot of art schools because the professionals will tell you exactly what you need to know to get a job. I have nothing against traditional school. I'm against 
stealing from your future to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Just avoid loans. You will, your future self will thank you so much. Mm. What is something you learned the hard way that you're glad you learned it the hard way? Maybe there was no, no better way to learn it than the hard way, even though it was challenging. Having a better attitude as a PA, because as I mentioned earlier, I did not have the best attitude and they noticed, you know, my coworkers noticed now what's happening here. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, and I felt really bad and really convicted. And then I realized, no, they're right. I need to step up. It's not okay that I have a bad attitude because their work is dependent on what I'm doing because I learned that lesson and it's carried me forward into honestly every job I've ever had since that kind of thing. You kind of have to go through it. <laughs> you yeah, know, I don't really yeah. know if that's something you can just, I mean, hopefully people can hear this and go, I'm just going to have a good attitude and not <laughs> do what I did. But I don't know. Sometimes personal experience is really the only way. All right. The third and final lightning round question is what is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with boarding or writing or animation or podcasting? Oh man. I love hiking. Mm. I love hiking so much. I love being outside away from a screen. I love <laughs> hiking with my friends and there's no cell service. And oh, it's just yeah. like, there's no computers, there's no phones, there's no internet. We're just out there and we're looking at coyotes and rabbits and woodpeckers and walking along and we're passing people with their dogs with bandanas. It's great. So I just <laughs> like just being outdoors with just sun and clouds and trees and dirt. Mm. This is the bonus lightning round question. You can say no to this. Any reality show PAing stories you can share from, oh, from yeah. that part yeah, of your I life? Can. So I worked for American Idol mm. when they came into town to San Francisco. So what they do is they go to various cities and they have untelevised competitions before you get to the main round where you talk to the judges. So they had this cattle call at, I kid you not, the Cow Palace oh. in Daly City, where they have the rodeo <laughs> and where they have all the, the livestock. No livestock was there, but they had 4,000 people came in and there's four rounds. And the first two rounds are not on TV. The third round is recorded and it's just with all the producers. And then the fourth round is with J-Lo and Ryan Seacrest and Harry Connick Jr. and all those fine folks who, by the way, I, I will say this, this is a different story, but <laughs> Harry Connick Jr., J-Lo, very nice people. Nice. I, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised by like how nice they were. And all their people are really nice. So yeah, mm. ni nice celebrities. They have nice people. So the third round of judging, they have cameras set up and it's just for the producer so they can go back and watch the tapes. And it was me and one other PA and we were responsible for one of the cameras and just watching and helping. And so we're in this conference room and there's about 10 judges or so. And then people that have won, you know, the first two rounds come in, they sing, and that's where they actually get their golden ticket. And then they film right. them later running in saying, look, I got a ticket. So we have this guy come in and he does this terrible rendition of Elvis Presley's You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. But it was really funny. <laughs> But it was, but it was bad. But he mm. knew it was bad. Yeah. And everybody laughed. You know, he laughed. The producers laughed. They're like, "Hey, you know, that's really funny. You're a good dude." But, but no. And he just, he just shifted. 
like he was funny and jovial and then all of a sudden he just had this dead eye stare oh no and just went no and the producers went what and he goes no (laughs) i'm not leaving you're giving me a ticket and they said uh no you need to leave and then he proceeded just to give this dead stare to every single (laughs) producer in the room. Whoa, that is bone chilling. And then he turned and walked out while still staring (laughs) at everyone. (laughs) And they were freaked out. And he walked out and I went to the security guard and I said, can you escort him out? Yeah. Because we are concerned. Because he had the vibe of, I'm going to come back. So that's my crazy story. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Angela, if someone wants to learn more about you and the work you do, or perhaps um, find your podcast, uh, where would you direct them? So a couple of places. Uh, best one to find just everything is sketchysoul.com. That's, I have links to the podcasts and to my work. Also on Instagram, I'm at sketchysoul. And on Twitter, I am at Sketchy Soul. Well, thank you so much for uh, your time and for coming on this podcast. It was great to catch up. It was great for me to get to be the host this time. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to send this to Jeff to edit it just for old time. <laughs> I'll give him a call. It's like, guess what, Jeff? <laughs> He's going to be like, what? <laughs> I didn't agree to this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll talk soon. Oh, yeah. Thank you cool. so much, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation. Man, I say this all the time and it's the title, but I loved that conversation. I feel so inspired, so ready to go. Think about my goals, my dreams, and also reassured that um, I need to be patient sometimes too. So you know the drill. Please subscribe and like and comment and share and review all that stuff. I I heard someone on another podcast talk about how those types of things, leaving a nice review, commenting, sharing. That's kind of the online uh, media version of tipping, essentially. So if you take a few moments to give this a nice review, give this a couple of stars over on whatever podcast app you listen to, think of that as like throwing a dollar in, in my tip jar. Big thank you to Adam Salzberg, who mixed this podcast and got it to your ears. The theme song is by Typist, Adam's solo project. And we'll be back in two weeks with another guest. Thanks so much for listening.